<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. So one thing we know for certain is that women are severely underrepresented in the music industry, but don't take my word for it. There are a ton of stats. When the University of Southern California released their inclusion in the recording studio report last year, they found that the ratio of male to female producers across 400 popular songs was 47 to one of the top 700 songs on Billboard's Hot 100 chart between 2012 and 2018, more than half of the songs did not credit a woman. And this isn't because women don't have an interest in music either. The female to male student ratio in music academics is almost 50-50. The high representation of females enrolled simply does not translate into the music industry workforce, particularly in leadership roles. But one woman is changing the status quo and bringing much needed change to this outdated male-dominated sector. You may not know her name, but you've definitely heard of the musicians she's worked with. Emily Lazar is the master engineer behind the sounds of music's biggest names, including Bjork, Beck, The Killers, David Bowie, Sonic Youth, The Foo Fighters, Sia, and Madonna, just to name a few. She's also the first woman to be nominated for a Grammy in the category of Best Engineered Album, non-classical, for her work on Beck's album, Colors. It's the first time in 58 years that we've had a woman nominee in the category. So today I'm thrilled to sit down with the award-winning sound engineer to learn more about her story, how she went from the other side of the glass, being the singer, songwriter, and performer, to into the studio to become one of the industry's most prominent master engineers and mixers. So let's get right into it. Welcome, Emily, to the show. We always sort of like to start at the beginning and kind of talk about, you know, where you were before your career, where you were before you are now, um, to give the audience a little color on how you got to where you are. But You're born and raised in New York, and you actually studied um, a Bachelor of Arts degree in creative writing and music before deciding music would be your focus. So 
where did your interest in music stem from? Did you know you, what the music industry was like growing up? Did you, was that like a career that you knew you wanted to be part of or was it something that was learned over time? Well, I didn't know anything about the music business per se, except for the fact that I was a singer and songwriter and, and, that, and that I wanted to do that. I didn't really know anything about the business or I really care about learning about the actual business or even recording for that matter. So my originally, uh, I was also um, really engaged in acting and stuff like that. And, and I went to school to pursue those things and, and creative writing, music, theater, et cetera. And as I was there, I kind of figured out that I really wanted to do music. And as I was pursuing that, it meant being in the studio and recording my songs with my bands, my various bands. And I really was like, I had no idea. It's just actually started in high school when, when I was playing in bands with friends and I played acoustic guitar and I wanted to play electric guitar. And I <laughs> went to the music store and I was like terrified to even plug in a guitar because I didn't know anything about it. My mother was an acoustic guitar teacher my whole life. So I was always around a lot of acoustic instruments and I felt very comfortable in that environment. And um, singing and writing songs and playing all sorts of instruments were, was very second nature to me. It seemed like, like what everybody did. It was actually kind of shocking to me to find out that other people didn't sit around in like a folk hoot nanny on the weekends, like I was raised in, but <laughs> that was... Uh, that was kind of interesting. And then, um, you know, and then, and then when I started to understand that there was this whole technical side where you had to plug things in and make things work and follow signal flow from a microphone into a console, into equipment, into some sort of way to capture the sound, I was completely um, blown away, actually. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was totally selfish, by the way. It had nothing to do with um, thinking that it would be really cool to be in the music business from that side of it. It was a hundred percent about me being frustrated with how things sounded and not being able to communicate well enough with whoever was recording me and wanting control over that part of the process. Amazing. And so, you know, you ended up, you know, kind of figuring it out yourself. You bought a four track recorder and started teaching yourself like this recording process. So do you think that, the, you know, the fact that you have this background in being a singer-songwriter and not being satisfied with the experience that you had is what kind of drove you into kind of, you know, flipping over to the other side of the business? I had had this experience of going into studios and working with them. There were a couple of special people that I worked with that were very big proponents of saying, hey, you know, you can learn how to do this yourself. Because I was very fascinated when I was in the studio as the artist, as opposed to the engineer. And I was constantly like over the engineer's shoulder, asking questions, trying to figure things out. And um, it didn't even dawn on me that, that these were classes that one could take and pursue. And I, while in college, actually, there was a class and um, no, there were no women in it. It was all, it was all um, male students and it was intimidating. And I ended up the first time that I um, engaged in that class, I did it over the summer, which was an easier time for me to kind of experience it without feeling wildly out of place. So I did it in the summer program and then I was completely addicted to being in there. And at the same time, I had my own little four track to kind of get my own ideas out and start learning about ping ponging things around and 
um, and starting to make actual demos. So it's very interesting though, because as soon as I got really into the making of the process of making recorded music, that was became more important to me. I mean, it was still about recording my own songs. I have to be truthful about that. But but it was it was actually how I was doing it, and and the artistic process of doing it became so important. It was almost equally as important as the songwriting part. The production yeah. was equally as important as the as the act of writing the songs, and that was a really cool, interesting new path for me. So, yeah, and there were some people who were you know very helpful to saying like you can do this and. There were other people who were like, you want to do what? <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a cool, it was a really um, cool time formatively for me because I didn't grow up approaching things in a in, in technical engineering way. I didn't really know, I know how to drive a stick car, but I didn't really, if it, if it blew up on the side of the road, I would have no idea why or how to fix it. Whereas there were lots of guys that I knew at the time that knew how to, you know, <laughs> open up the hood and see what was wrong and fix something. I would have had no idea. I'm sure that's a really empowering feeling too, to be able to own the process from start to finish and like, you know, be involved on every aspect of the creative process. Um, and I totally hear you. I, th- you know, I think like even historically in movies and representation of people who are engineering, music engineers, it's always, you know, historically been men. Um, but now, so now you're a master engineer and mixer, but for those of us who are in the music industry, can you tell us like what that means and like what you sort of are responsible for when it comes to music? So mastering is the final part of making a piece of recorded music available for commercial release. So for example, in film, there's post if people understand what post-production in film is or, or coloring, um, it's kind of like that where the, the recording has already been made. The mix for the most part has already been completed. And it's this moment to put on the finishing touches to kind of put together a bunch of different songs and make them work together as an album. Um, whether that means that it, needs a special um, EQ compression, you know, treatment or, you know, and different colors to try to make, to make it feel like a complete thought, uh, um, an artistic thought as a, as, you know, sometimes an album can be recorded over a series of months and even years. And so when people are even (laughs) within a couple of days or with different producers or different people, things come out sounding very, very disparate from each other. So a mastering engineer's job is to make everything sound the best that it possibly can and put it together and um, have it be this complete thought that you're going to kind of serve up to the world. So um, there's a lot that goes into it. It's super creative, but it's also really technical. There's a lot of, you know, the mastering also includes anything from stereo tracks to surround sound to um, Atmos surround and uh, 360 immersive Sony 360 formats. Like there's a lot of different cool formats that mastering engineers get to help the, you know, help complete. And it's a big, the difference between something that's mastered and not mastered can be enormous. Your business is more than the goods you sell or the services you provide. It's the heart of the economy. That's why I'm teaming up with MasterCard to support entrepreneurs by sharing my tips and advice to help their local business, like how to become a pioneering voice in a community. 
To put it simply, we all possess some level of influence, whether it's our inner circle, our team of 15 employees at work, or our thousands of followers on Instagram. We all belong to multiple groups too. Either way, influence is influence. And no matter how big or small we deem that influence to be, being a pioneering voice in a community requires courage. Which leads me to my first tip, be fearless. The message you're delivering may challenge the status quo. Great. All the more reason to back it with the level of confidence that'll get those listening to really pay attention and influence their way of thinking in the process. Which brings me to my next point. Leadership styles vary greatly from person to person. Do yourself the due diligence of understanding what yours is so you can carry forward in an efficient and productive way. Know your strengths, and more importantly, know the areas that you need improvement in. And lastly, passion is contagious. Be an enthusiastic voice in your community. For more tools and resources, go to mastercard.us slash mainstreetrecovery. That's mastercard.us slash mainstreetrecovery. Together, we can start something priceless. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kotz. And I'm Stephanie Sambari, and we are the hosts of That's So Retrograde. Heard of us? For the past 200 and some episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the hell wellness is. We have inspiring and fun conversations with all types of amazing people, from healers to comedians to whatever's in between. We're five years in, but we're just getting started. So hop on board every Thursday to join the party and route to living your best life. And don't forget your cannabis. Or to check us out on Instagram at So Retrograde. That's right. Bye. See you there. And, you know, mastering is such a very, you know, unique part of the music industry, but obviously everyone who does this, I assume has their own unique approach. So how did you set yourself apart from other engineers when you were first starting out? So when I first started, I don't, I mean, I don't think engineers did have much of a different approach from each other. I think there was a very homogeneous way of approaching the art of mastering and it was more of a technical approach at the time um, and maybe not as artistic. And so for me, it was, there was no question that I, I I didn't have, I didn't have a choice because that's just how I approach everything. It was just the way I look at the world. So for me, it was to create kind of this boutique environment with, from everything from like what the room looked like and felt like and smelled, smelled like, and, you know, the people that were working there, everything about it was to create a space where artists and people who make records, producers, uh, label people who were on the creative side felt really comfortable and engaged in this part of the process. Cause it really is a very important piece of the puzzle. And a lot of times people were like, Oh, I don't really know what happens there. Just send it off and get it done. And they didn't really participate prior. And a lot of times they, just took as an assumption that it was done um, and not that there was anything special about doing it or how to, or what they could even ask for. I think a lot of people didn't even know what, what could happen in the, in a mastering session. So a lot of people didn't even attend them back in the day. So for me, the way my approach was really more about trying to have a dialogue with the artist or producer, whoever was making, who was there and, understanding the story that they wanted to tell. Because I think that everybody who touches a piece of music who's part of delivering that piece of music to the world is part of helping that story to 
get told. And mm. there's a lot of different ways that it could happen. And, you know, one not being better than the other, just completely different. And so I think there are a lot of, I knew for me that as an artist, I was very frustrated. As I said, the reason I got into this is because I wasn't able to communicate with the engineers that I was working with to get the sounds that were in my head out. The result of what I was making was not what I was wanting it to be. And I think that happens to artists a lot. You know, there's no one in between a painter and his or her canvas and their paint. It's just them. So in music, if you're playing guitar and singing, there's now all of a sudden a, a person in between. If you're not doing it yourself, there's a person and all of this equipment and stuff and process in between that colors and changes what's happening before it gets to the to the canvas. That I think is it can be very frustrating for mm. people because they there's a lack of control in that in what a what they think they're making and b what then it what ends up coming out. Got it. So it has to be this like very specific relationship, obviously, because it's like it, it's a layered approach to like any song basically that's coming out and has a lot of different people involved. Yeah. I mean, I think that as the technology has changed too, it's become a more of an intricate process because people use the mastering process as a way to determine whether or not they have gotten to the to the place that they wanted to, you know, because now they're hearing it as a finished product and they can kind of make sure that they've hit the target, so to speak. And so a lot of times there are artists who will mix something, master it. If this is if they have the budget to do this for, you know, to be quite honest, then they'll go back and remix, make some tweaks and then master again. Tell me about, you know, the lodge and like how that vision started. You mentioned obviously the importance of the environment around you and that you're creating um, so now you you have this, you know, studio, the lodge, assumably a team around you, which is like a whole other, you know, kind of thing. It's a whole other business, basically, of owning that piece of it. So tell me a little bit about the start of that. So that was an, an inevitable, necessary thing in the beginning, because there were no women who did what I did, like maybe one or two that I knew of. Um, and both of the women that I knew were in the classical world that did this. And um, so I kind of didn't have it. I felt like I didn't have a choice if I wanted to do things the way that I thought they should be done. I had to start my own place. Um, I did work at other uh, mastering places and, um, and worked with a lot of other um, really, you know, well-known engineers and but the vibe of the studio was not the vibe that I wanted to work in or provide <laughs> for my artists. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, and you know, you mentioned this earlier, but even just last year, um, a report came out saying that the ratio of male to female producers across 400 popular songs is 47 to one. Obviously, like you said, this is a male dominated industry. Um, you know, what were some of the challenges you faced as a woman as you were sort of starting out? And what advice do you have for women who want to potentially break into this industry? Um, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot recently um, in light of first in light of Me Too, the Me Too movement, and then in the light of um, with Black Lives Matter. And I am I'm really in awe of the voice that the this generation is able to use. And I'm, I'm very 
um, happy. I hope that uh, I was helpful in some way in hiring some women um, in my studio when I had the opportunity to, and that they are now um, doing their thing. But um, I am, I am always reticent to discuss the events that happened to me they're they're countless and they were awful and people were dismissive and rude and did things that are, to me are they were awful but i didn't you know i i was from a time period where if you spoke out about these things you could guarantee yourself that you would not have a career so it was either deciding that i was going to you know work against these evils from within and do my very best to try to create an environment where other people didn't feel the things that I felt. And even the artists uh, who came in the door, because I think artists got a lot of dismissive um, attitude and behavior. And that was one of the reasons that I, you know, as I said, like I wasn't communicating well with engineers. It wasn't just that we weren't speaking the same language. They were just downright awful. But I don't usually focus on that because I think Again, like when I look at this, you can say, and I think this is a theme for me throughout probably a lot of the things that we'll discuss, like you can look at challenges as obstacles or you can look at challenges as opportunities. And I think my whole way of looking at challenges is that they're opportunities to do something different, to do it better, to prove, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to prove. And um, I, I think that a lot of people get stuck focusing on the obstacles. I don't, mm -hmm. I choose not to even, I choose not to focus on them. I choose not to engage in them or give them any more power than they already have. They're already powerful enough. Um, so I try to kind of focus on, okay, so what about this is the silver lining? You know, like with the pandemic, this is a similar situation. You can sit at home and be miserable because you're trapped and everything is crazy and upside down. Or you can get really creative and bake banana bread or make a painting or grow a garden or write a new record because tons of artists have been incredibly creative, which has been so cool. Um, I've had tons, I've had an avalanche of quarantine work. It's been <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, like the creativity, the stuff that's been made. So again, like that's a silver lining of a really terrible moment in time. So that's an obstacle that you can kind of just ignore as an obstacle and kind of look for the, the beauty and what can come and grow out of it. I don't know if I actually answered your question, but. I know you did. I mean, look, I, I get like, I think, but I think like what you've done is your reaction to it, right? It's creating this safe space, creating a space that's your own being like an incredibly, you know, successful, talented woman in the industry and paying it forward to other women. I think those are all things that we can do. And, and I totally agree. I mean, I definitely have the same sort of stories and situations. I'm sure you do. Um, and, and, and the same way about this new generation and just like in awe because it just didn't exist when I was coming. Like if you said anything, it was like you, like you might as well just quit your job. Um, or be a pariah, like it wasn't an option. Yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, and very similarly, it's like, I'm just going to run my own business. I had a very similar story in that way. But 
So cut to, obviously, like I mentioned, you know, you now mastered over 4,000 albums in 2019, became the first woman to ever win a Grammy for album engineering in the non-classical category. And that was for Beck's Colors. You worked on albums with David Bowie and Sonic Youth and Foo Fighters and Madonna and just like unreal talent. But can you take us back to like that first album you mastered and who was the breakthrough artist for you? And how did that opportunity come about? I don't know about breakthrough artists. I mean, I love everything that I've worked on and people who have had no, people don't, I've never heard their music before to people who are, you know, the David Bowies and whatever. In order to do this, you have to love what you do and you have to love music. Um, So for me, like I never really looked at it as, I guess in retrospect, I could say like, oh, maybe it was David Bowie. Maybe it was, you know, Sinead O'Connor. Maybe it was working with all the Saturday Night Live stuff when I did that. Maybe it was. And I don't really know, you know, and I think it depends who the person is that's looking at my discography, like it's what their tastes are, because they would all pick different different artists that I've worked with. For me personally, I don't think I've I've even hit the the... I, can't, I just don't look at it like that. I'm constantly amazed that the phone rings. I'm always humbled and blown away by it. It never makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> I'm always kind of in shock, which is not to say that I, you know, don't love working with these artists or that I didn't want to. Of course I, I do, but it always, I'm always, I'm always kind of humbled by the fact that, that these people are entrusting me with their baby and, um, and then I'm getting to help them. It's it's a really, uh, it's an interesting thing. And I know there's a lot of people who in the music business in general, or even in any, in anything, I guess, in music, they say, oh, you're only as good as your last record. And I, that's such a ridiculous idea. Or conversely, oh, he did this, this guy did this record and then didn't do anything else afterwards or whatever. And that it just, like that their whole career is based on this one album that they did. It's kind of weird to try and boil someone's career down into that amount of however long that thing took. For me, like some albums take years, months, weeks, days. Some albums take one day. So for me to put my whole being behind saying like, this is it. And it was like one day thing. It's kind of hard to you know, this is kind of hard. I think, I think the breakthrough moment for me has come in different weird ways. Like back when there wasn't a pandemic and I would go to the supermarket and a song would be playing in there. That would kind mm. of blow my mind. Or if I was in the car driving somewhere and then I remember there was this um, one radio station that magically played like eight different artists and eight different songs that I had done in a row. And it was the crazy, we were, you know, I was actually driving with my son and we were like counting to see like how many it was going to be. And it was like eight songs and we were laughing so hard because we thought it was so preposterous and crazy, but that kind of blew my mind. But other than that, I don't, I don't know. I yeah. guess it's just, it's I guess little little just, it's just a hard, it's like a hard thing to tr- to put, to try on. I think other people maybe could say, oh, well, after she did this, she did that or whatever. You know, it's easier maybe for my, you know, <laughs> my posthumous writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I just can't get into that place myself, but that's just me, I guess. I don't know. 
Um, so, you know, one thing I'm interested in and something that we ask a lot of our participants is about mentorship. You know, obviously mentorship is, you know, really important. Did you have mentors as you were sort of working your way in, in this career or, you know, how did you sort of find advice when you needed it? I had a few and I also, um, I found, so we'll go into some of the negative stuff. At one point, um, when I was trying to work in the industry, I was receiving so much weird, misogynistic feedback that I decided that I was actually working somewhere and there was all sorts of nonsense going on in the studio in New York. And um, a friend, there was a young guy there who was an assistant. And I was, uh, I think it was one of the many days that I left and like left the studio and made it look like I was either going to get coffee or to go do an errand or something. And, and that I was, everything was perfectly fine. And I think he caught me coming out of the elevator and I was tears just flying down. Like I was just miserable after being spoken to in such a disgusting way. And, um, and it was all sexually charged and awful and I just hated it. And, and I felt like I had to, I had to complete this because I wasn't going to let this break me or this, I was going to, I was going to do it. And, and he said, you know, um, there's a master's program at NYU where you can, you can do stuff and you can learn and you can do stuff. And, and I was like, what? There's a master's degree program in, in audio. Like, I didn't even know, I didn't have any understanding that any of that even existed. Right. Um, and um, it was like this like hidden magic garden. I was like, what? Um, and so I applied, I, um, I got in and I was thrilled, um, to have the relative safety of, um, that environment to both learn things, try things out, record. I also kept working at that studio as well. And then I did, um, a graduate internship at Sony Classical and, um, and I also became the graduate fellow at NYU and I was a, a TA, a teaching assistant and, um, and had advisees and stuff. And, and I really um, f- felt very comfortable there exploring the things that I wanted to explore without feeling that my only option was to, you know, yeah. be abused every day. So I think it's, you know, for me, there were mentors along the road there were people that were that magical glimmer of something wonderful, like this guy who was a um, general assistant who just said to me, Hey, you know, you don't have to do this. There's a school. I was like, you know, that came from, no, I I really don't know if I would have ever even known. No one in my circle was telling me like, Oh, why don't you go like literally across the street from where I was um, to, to NYU was literally located like spitting distance from the studio. So it was kind of funny too, you know, to think that it was right under my thumb and I didn't even know, but those programs didn't really exist either. And then I think there was this blossom of a lot of audio programs. So I think lots of kids now have a lot more options and there's also the internet. There's so much, <laughs> you can learn so much stuff on the internet that I didn't have that. I didn't have that opportunity. So while, you know, it's really awesome to have hands-on experience in a room with someone, which I always suggest to everyone, like find a record that you love, look who, look, find the credits, see who made that record and try and track those people down and see 
if you can, and don't pick a record just because you like the artist, pick the record because you like the snare sound or pick the record because you like, you know, the, the production value of whatever and find those people and learn how to do that from them. And, you know, never overlook um, how much people in a creative field need help with, you know, errands and getting coffee and helping out and just being helpful, just helping the process along and, and offer your assistance. So I think, you know, that hands-on experience is super awesome. But if I were to be, and the people come to me for jobs all the time, if they haven't done their homework on the internet first, I'm not really so excited to sit there and say like, this is a mic cable, you know, like (laughs) they need to come with a little bit of experience and have at least made an effort um, to try to uh, understand even just by watching some videos, which is just a wealth of knowledge that I obviously didn't have access to. I don't know if I answered your question again. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) no, that was good. That was totally great. And then you know, so obviously, like you said, people come for you, come to you for jobs all the time, I'm sure. So what do you look for in candidates? Like what, um, what, what do you think some of the traits are that people need to be successful in the music industry? Well, like I said before, it gave you one little story of a, a bad moment for me, but the reality is you will not achieve things if you quit, right? Even as a, an artist, forget as an engineer or producer. Like there's a lot of people who it's hard and this didn't work out and that didn't work out or, you know, I didn't like whatever. And then they quit. And more often than not, I see people who I've known growing up through the industry who refuse to quit, who will not take no for an answer, who just keep plugging. And those people make it. I mean, that's one of the biggest requirements is that you actually do the job. You don't quit Mm. on yourself. Um, It's hard, but like you do the job. Then if you can establish that you're actually really good at doing your job, well then, you know, the doors are wide open, I think. So, you know, working your butt off. And I used to say, and I don't know if, if this applies anymore because we're in a new paradigm where people can speak out, but I used to say, just keep your head down, do your job the obstacles thing, like don't focus on all these things that could slow you down, stop you. And the people who you know are dangerous to you, like most people know, you you have an instinct about you. If you, I mean, I knew the people who were going to be difficult. I've, I've always, you know, you kind of learn how to read the room a little bit. You understand like who's going to be a proponent of you and who's going to be difficult. And, um, you know, don't focus yourself on these areas where, people are going to try and, you know, for fun, try and stand in your way. So I think learning though, for real, your craft is the biggest thing. You know, there's a, there's one thing to just walk into and be uber confident and say, I'm going to win. I'm here to win. But if you don't know the game you're even playing, like sit back on the bench, (laughs) figure it out. You know, Um, that to me is, is a really important part of this. I don't, I don't want people showing up to work with me and you know I've had I've had some experiences where people are really just they just like well when do I get to sit in your seat you know when do I get to be mm. you like well it took me quite a few years to get into this chair and um I think totally I have some things to share with you before you can just drive um so I think I don't know I think that I would love more women I've had um I've trained uh four women um mm. you know at the lodge and some of them have gone on to 
um, be nominated for Grammys and do all sorts of great things in um, their particular areas, which is kind of cool. And um, some of them have broken off and done other things in the industry, like playing in bands and doing other stuff and DJing or whatever. Um, and I think some are, are master engineers that are contributing in other genres. And um, I think I feel really good that they were able to pursue stuff to the level that they could with me and and then kind of are doing their own thing. And uh, mm-hmm. that feels really good. But I, it's not just about women to me. It's like anyone. Like yeah. right now I have an amazing, amazing assistant who I adore, who um, his name is Chris Allgood and he is an amazing engineer and he works, you know, the way one should. He shows up early, he stays late, he is indispensable to me and he is um, very helpful to client relationship because he is really easy for them to interface with when they can't get me. So to me, it's about hiring the right people and it doesn't matter if they're, you know, white, black, green, yellow polka dots, male, female, trans, well, I don't care. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. As long as you're good at what you do, then I have a space for you and you're going to try your hardest and you're going to, um, you know, respect your self, then I have a space for you. Mm-hmm. What has been a priceless moment in your career? So although I said that there's no um, albums that really, you know, that I don't judge it by the albums that I've done. I did have a, a moment that was rather surreal that is def- was definitely priceless for me. Um, I am one of the biggest Beatles fans and, um, and I got to do the 50th anniversary release of Abbey Road, the Beatles, and master that. And that was a priceless moment for me it's amazing um so you're constantly innovating so where do you see yourself in the lodge in the future any any post-covid changes you're seeing or things you've learned or new ways of adapting what's the future of music i mean you have to be flexible you have to be able to adapt and pivot those are the words we're all um using right now right and i think there's tons of really cool technical innovations happening in my world, there's a lot of this immersive audio surround, Atmos, 360, um, even uh, music within gaming, the ability to have music and shows be delivered to people via, um, you know, all sorts of platforms that are allowing live music to continue without attendance in the traditional format. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of room for a lot of really uh, cool new stuff. Again, the idea that you can look at these potential obstacles as opportunities instead of obstacles. And I think out of that, these really cool new formats are born and things happen. So the Lodge is going to be hopefully um, very much part of pushing high res and um, an immersive audio into the future and also helping with delivering live music sounding as best as it possibly can live through that streaming, new streaming platforms. And um, there's a bunch of things that are being built right now that I, that I am aware of, but I can't say because they don't exist yet. I think actually one came out with an announcement today about something kind of cool billboard, but um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really neat stuff on the horizon. So 
the other thing I'm really excited about, honestly, is people just getting back to their roots of making great records and writing great songs and um, being creative and being getting into their own space and getting in touch with themselves and figuring out how they feel about all of these really important issues that are going on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Emily. That was awesome. Oh, thank you. It was great chatting with you. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.